the thing is, is what we think we're doing is we think we're gaining perspective, but we're not. What we're doing is we're trying to rank our trauma out of existence and it doesn't work. And so for me, when I came home, I'd been trained that everybody had it worse. So when I am having, you know, violent night terrors and I, I'm hypervigilant, I, I, I think I'm in danger all the time. I think my family's in danger. I, I'm struggling with anger and self-loathing and, and eventually depression and then eventually suicidal ideation. All this stuff, I'm having this happen and I'm going, no, I have it on good authority that what I did was no big deal. So this can't be PTSD. This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for a new episode of Pantsuit Politics, a very special episode of Pantsuit Politics, as we are thinking about what Fourth of July means for our country and how we want to observe it. We are delighted to welcome back one of our Pantsuit Politics favorite guests, Jason Kander. Jason Kander, as you probably know, is a former Army captain who also served as Missouri's Secretary of State and in the Missouri House of Representatives. He is currently the president of the National Expansion Veterans Community Project and the host of Majority 54 podcast. He's here with us today because he has a new book, Invisible Storm, a soldier's memoir of politics and PTSD, which he discussed with Sarah and we are are so thrilled to share this interview with you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. 
Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code podcast 15. Jason Kander, welcome to Pantsu Politics. Thanks for having me back. You're here today because you have a new book, Invisible Storm, A Soldier's Memoir of Politics and PTSD. Thank you for coming on our show. Uh, always, always pleased to be back with you. Thanks for letting me come on and talk about the book. As I was writing your intro, I was reminded that at our last live event, one of our listeners' husbands introduced himself to me as a recovering politician. And as a <laughs> recovering politician myself, it really hit. And I thought, I bet Jason would like that too. Yeah. I yeah. was like, that's a great introduction. I, I was a recovering lawyer. Now I'm a recovering politician. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm mostly just that. recovering. I should just introduce myself as, <laughs> I am Jason. I'm recovering. I'm recovering. <laughs> That's how we should all introduce ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> for real. I loved your book. You know, I knew your story of joining up after September 11th. And I, as I was reading the particulars of you joining them being in the Army, I realized, like, I think I, I get why people join to a certain extent. I've never been tempted to join the military, but I get the instinct to join, especially after a 9-11. What I think you put such amazing words to is the appeal once you're in, the mm. appeal of the purpose, the structure. I it, it helped me understand, like, why people are in the military, why people join the military better than almost anything I've ever read before. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was important to me because, well, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I I know that there's a there's a demographic out there that will read a combat memoir, but I didn't want to write one. Like, and I know who that <laughs> is. Like, those are all over my dad's shelf, and I'm, I imagine I'm 41, so in 10 years they'll be all over my shelf. Like, I, I get I get what that is. Um, so I am I not needed, that person. Right. And so but, that's but how I you wanted got to, to me. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to write a book that like could help everybody with their mental health. It just was that the source of my trauma was being in a war. So so you know, I needed to spend a chapter on joining the military and I needed to spend a chapter on being in Afghanistan. But after that, I wanted the whole book really to be about dealing with this stuff with the psychological disorder, you know, the coming of age tale of having a psychological disorder that's untreated and undiagnosed while you pursue the presidency, just, you know, your standard <laughs> old, you know, trope. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what, what I felt I needed to do in order to reach out to that uh, larger demographic is I, I needed to explain like why I loved this so much. And, and mm -hmm. so that in a way that everybody could connect with so that it wasn't like, I don't get it. And I felt that I did that. But the other thing that I thought was really important to explain as part of my story was why, in addition to the trauma of Afghanistan, why actually leaving the military in and of itself was traumatic for me and, and so many other vets. And the only way to do that was to communicate how much I loved it and to help the yes. reader understand how I could. And so to your point, you know, 
when you're in the army, particularly at a time like the the few the years after 9-11, it's like every day you get up, you know what your mission is, you know who your boss is, you know what your job is today, you know what you're gonna wear. Like, mm-hmm. and and you know that you and everybody you work with and everybody that you've become very close to because you're basically living together, that you have a, a similar set of values, which is to say you value the same stuff. And, uh, yeah. and so when that's disrupted and it ends, it's, it's really disorienting. Yeah. It's almost that state of flow. It's that you can find it in a campaign too, where mm-hmm. you're like, you, you get to the end of the day and you're like, I did it. Like I did the things I was supposed to do. I knew yeah. what I was supposed to do. Like I was reaching this goal. It is, it is intoxicating in a way. Yeah. You know what it is? <clears throat> it is the, that magical feeling of feeling valuable. Feeling like mm-hmm. y- you you are either mostly or fully utilized. I say mostly because it's usually mostly, but like when you're in a combat zone, you feel fully utilized uh, often, uh, which is to say you're, you're drawing on everything you have. Um, but you just you feel you've been of value to others at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's uh, easy to get used to that feeling. And then when you don't have it anymore, boy, you really notice that it's not there. Well, and before because I want to get to that that process of leaving the military and the trauma you experienced in the combat zone and like what you were running away from. But before we get to that, I want to know, I, I mm-hmm. want to talk about like how you ran right into campaigns because as someone, I mean, I did a small campaign. I just ran for city commission, but it makes so much sense to me that that's exactly where you ran to because there is this, in, in much the same way, like you talk about the military, there's this mix of like, especially as I was reading your book, I thought about that that first campaign and, you know, the the my first campaign where you're just knocking on doors. And what I always tell people is, think about it. It's the building blocks of, like, feeling great because you're outside, you're moving your body, you're mm-hmm. talking to people. Like, those are, like, the three foundations of feeling great. And you have this mission and you're checking things off every day. And I think, like, that, it doesn't surprise me at all that that's, like, that's where you found yourself because it really does click a lot of those boxes. Yeah, there's no question that it it energized me, and it, it it was every every door that said, "Yeah, you know, I'll vote for you." I mean, every every everybody who was like, "You can put a sign in my yard." Every one of oh those. Oh my god, a sign! Is, a sign yeah. was the ultimate. It's a little endorphin hit, right? And uh, <laughs> and I needed that because I came home. I didn't understand that I had PTSD. In fact, I was working all the time for ten years to convince myself that I didn't have it, um, but. Where I eventually got to where it got really bad was I was just basically going from one giant endorphin hit, like speech to a huge audience to another. But it started with, I'm just going to know that, okay, I hit four blocks today. I, I got 100 houses today. You know, I got 13 signs today. I got whatever it is, these little metrics that would allow me to say to myself, uh, you know, I'm not irredeemable. And what was layered on top of all this is I just left a place where when I left, there were people there I cared about who were still there. And and I was not reconciling these feelings of, I'm glad to be home, I'm grateful to be safe, and to have you know not been physically wounded, but I'm also like aware that these people are still there or that people I trained with are about to go there and I'm here. How is that possible? How is that okay? What kind, what does that say about me? So it became a, a search for redemption. It was, mm. you know, 
uh, it was twofold. It was if I do something huge and great, then maybe I'll redeem myself and not feel unworthy. But it was also if I keep getting these accomplishments, maybe I'll convince myself that I'm all right. Well, and you really do a good job of taking us on that journey because, you know, what I was going to ask you, I was like about to the in the next to the last chapter. And I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm going to ask him because it, it felt like as you were you were going along this journey that, you know, you didn't have a traumatic childhood. You had these, you talk lovingly about your mm-hmm. family. And I'm like, who put, the, I mean, it feels like the army is who told you these messages of like stripping you down. You're only as good as the person. And then you, you tackle that. I was like, okay, he was anticipating my question because <laughs> you, you get to that at the end, like. I understand the process that the army has to put you through to like make you a cohesive unit and kind of strip you down and tell you you're no better than anybody else. But the problem is when you come out of these missions and you go home, there's no sort of like building back up and telling you, no, what you did was – I mean – I thought you did a brilliant job of keeping us in your head of like, I was just there four months. You kind of had me convinced at the end, like, yeah, what was the big (laughs) deal? You were there for four months. And then you're like, oh, by the way, they stopped doing – asking people to do what I did because it was so ridiculous by the end of the mission in Afghanistan. And so I thought, yeah, they, they tear Like they kind of tear you down. I mean, it's, I don't think I'm being unfair. I feel like that's how most people describe the process. And then they don't build you back up. Exactly. I mean, I, I refer to it as a necessary brainwashing, like and yeah. not, not unnecessary, a necessary brainwashing. Um, and the reason I say it's necessary is because like in my job, uh, for those listening who, who you know who probably don't know, I was an intelligence officer whose job it was to go and investigate corruption and espionage within the Afghan government, which basically means I had to go repeatedly into meetings, uh, just me and my translator often, you know, with no backup, nobody knew where we were, and we really couldn't know the allegiances of the people we were meeting with, and they were, you know. Uh, much more heavily armed than we were. So it was a constant threat of, of kidnapping and that kind of thing. And in order for me to be able to do that more than once, uh, I have to really believe like, this isn't that big a deal. Like this isn't combat. This, this, you know, nobody blew me up today. So this is no big deal. Um, and it helped that in my case, you know, there were two guys on my camp who were doing a very similar job, uh, Todd and Kevin, who I talk about in the, in the book. Uh, and so to me, I'm like, well, this is normal. Todd and Kevin are doing this, right? Um, but the army, the moment you get off the bus at basic, the army starts grounding into you the idea that somebody has it much worse. And the thing is, that is necessary because otherwise, like, you can't do the job. So yeah, to your point, the problem is, is that when you leave, nobody sits you down and goes, okay, uh, you By should the know. Way. <laughs> yeah, you should know. Th- that was kind of a big deal. And uh, and actually, that's pretty bad. You're going to probably have to deal with this now. Yeah, you're going to watch Doors for the next 15 years. Yeah, every exactly, time you yeah. restaurant. Right. I mean, I think that, and you do, but you do such a good job of like using the, the voice of the PTSD to convince us, like, it wasn't a big deal. I really, by the end of the book, I was like, Jason, you you said it, told, told us, you know, 500 times, you're only there for four months, and then you spend this time saying, like, oh, no, it was a big deal. And look, I think the reason, to your point at the beginning, this is applicable to anyone on a mental health, like, road or, or dealing with those challenges, is we all do that. We all say somebody has it worse, right? Like, we mm-hmm. we all do that 
I mean, that's probably why the the training in the Army sort of catches fire in such a way, because I think we're, we train ourselves to do that, to always look around and say, like, so-and-so has it worse. At least I'm not in a coma. I don't, listen, believe me when I say, I don't quote Dr. Phil a lot, uh, <laughs> almost ever. But one time I heard him say, if you were in a hospital bed and your leg is broken and the person next to you is in a coma, it doesn't make your leg not broken. Um, that's right. And that's I was like, good. Dr. Like Phil that. is right. This time, this time yeah. he's right. And I, I've never forgotten it because you do, you do. Everybody does that. Well, and the thing is, is what we think we're doing is we think we're gaining perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. But but we're not. What we're doing is we're trying to rank our trauma out of existence. And it doesn't mm-hmm. work. Um, and so for me, when I came home, I'd been trained that everybody had it worse. So when I am having you know violent night terrors and I, I'm hypervigilant, I, I, I think I'm in danger all the time. I think my family's in danger. I, I'm struggling with anger and self-loathing and, and eventually depression and then eventually suicidal ideation. All this stuff, I'm having this happen and I'm going... No, I have it on good authority that what I did was no big deal. So, how, so this can't be PTSD. And and so it, it took you know it took a, a clinical social worker at the VA to look at me and say, okay, so let me get this straight. Uh, you went to the most dangerous place on the planet, and you went out basically by yourself for hours at a time, as vulnerable as you could possibly be, with people who might want to kill you, and you couldn't know. And if something went bad, no one was coming to save you. I'm like, yeah. And she goes, yeah, that's combat. Like, how do you not see? And so it took that. And then, and then being actually diagnosed with PTSD, those, it took those things for me to understand that, you know, I was a combat veteran and that, uh, Mm. my experience was valid. And I appreciate what you said about the way I wrote the book. I did it very purposefully. What I wanted was, and it was a, it was a writing challenge to make sure that as I tell the story, I am not utilizing any language that is available to me now because I went to therapy, Mm -hmm. but I'm only at the moment that you are in the story as the reader, the only way I I allowed myself to explain it to you at that given moment was the the terminology and the understanding that I had at that time. And then gradually as the story goes on and, and more language and more understanding is available to me, I'm able to reveal more. My great uncle read it and gave me one of my favorite pieces of feedback. He was like, it's a mystery novel. Uh, yeah. He said, "He said that where the third act, all these twists are revealed, and you start to yeah, see all these the pieces fall into place. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think that that by the end you can see again, like how this journey you took as a politician really fed all those voices. Because again, if you're out there knocking on doors or you're in policy meetings and you're talking about all the problems in America, well, that's again feeding your idea that like people have it mm-hmm. worse." There's yes. so much more important things I could be working on than my own mental health because here's – and here's the part. I just have to – I died. I died, Jason. When you sit down with Barack Obama and he says, but Jason, you have what I had. You're the natural. <gasps> mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine why you would be distracted. <laughs> yeah. And be tempted to follow this path all the way to almost the presidency with sitting with Barack Obama telling you you're the natural. I mean, all those – but that journey – feeds all those different narratives along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing where you're you're having moments like that in your life and you're going, what the hell is my deal? Why why do I still mm-hmm. feel bad? And and after a while, I mean, I struggled with this for 11 years before anybody before I figured out what it was and before I would talk to anybody about it other than my wife, right? And so the whole time I'm telling myself this story of like 
how ungrateful am I? Like how, mm. what's wrong with me? And, and after 11 years of that, you forget that you weren't like that before you deployed. And, yeah. and so as a result, you just think, I guess this is what I'm like now. And I guess this is who I am. And, you know, so not everybody gets to be happy. So I'm just going to serve my purpose. And, mm. and, uh, and so, you know, I wrote the book because, I mean, honestly, because if this book had existed 14 years ago, I think I'd have read it. And I'd have got help then and, and wow. I'd have dealt with it. And, and so, and it doesn't exist if I don't write it. So that's why I wanted to do it. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Pansy. Well, I'm so glad you bring up Diana because I love that her voice is interspersed throughout the book. In fact, I almost uh, messaged our schedule and be like, wait, is she going to be on the call too? She half wrote yeah. the book too. Yeah, um, no, I want to do it, more of these with her. I think it would be important. Yeah, it was incredible to read her story and to see, of course, like you just you, – you brought the threat home basically. Mm-hmm. And she adapted and adopted all those different – techniques until she had PTSD too. And I mean, 11 years is a long time to be the only person someone is leaning on with this challenge. Yeah. The way she puts it, you know, is like, I'd wake up in the middle of the night with these night terrors and then I wanted to talk about it. And so she said, you know, you're half awake and it's horrible story time. And and so it just kind (laughs) of seeps into you. Right. And, and so, uh, you know, I always, uh, now I like to joke like that, I, I, I'm just such a giving husband. I, I mean, I've <laughs> given her PTSD. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a couple of reasons I wanted her in there. Um, you know, and, and, and obviously we did it a lot differently than any memoir I've ever read. Like she comes in every chapter for a few paragraphs with, with her first person perspective where she just writes, uh, you know, a, a, a passage about what it was like for her at that time and what she was observing with me. And part of that was, you know, I want a lot of people to read this because I think it's going to help a lot of people. But some of the people who read it won't be people who struggle with their own mental health challenges. But they but they probably are going to be somebody who loves someone who does. And I wanted them to have a narrator that they could relate to, right? Uh, and part of that is I also want people to know about secondary PTSD because we didn't even know about it till I started therapy. Uh, and thank God, you know, my therapist, Nick, told us about it. Uh, but then the other reason was as you go through there, like – you you have to have another voice to tell you about what it is that they're seeing from me, right? Because because if not, like when I when I recorded the audiobook, you know, Diana did her stuff on the last day and I did like four days of just just me. And so then I heard the book without her uh reflections in it. And you know, it's very hard to relate to this person when you're getting no perspective from anybody else who's been observing mm. them. And all you're right, hearing right, right. is the version of this from the guy who has PTSD. And, you know, finally, I just went in there because nobody goes through this kind of stuff by themselves. And nobody, certainly nobody survives this by themselves. And so I wanted people to see that uh, really it's a love story. I mean, that's really what the book is more than anything else. It's a memoir and it's about mental health and it's a little bit about the military and it's a little bit about politics. But what it really is, is it's just a love story. It's about a marriage surviving um, this disorder. Well, I do want to get to the politics part. Sure. Because now you and I are the same age. I didn't realize you were a 1981 baby too. Mm-hmm. It's a very strong year. We share that year with Beyonce. It's a very good year. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Beyonce, Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Meghan Markle, Brandi Carlisle. I can go on and on, Jason. And 1981 <laughs> like was a very good year. And I'm adding you Brandi to the Carlisle. list now. Right? That's I, a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Oh man, I really thought I was younger than her. Um, okay. <laughs> I've been nope, I've been not. to multiple Brandy Carlisle shows. Um, oh, but, uh, no, anyway. but be proud! Like that's awesome that we share. Oh sure, that. yeah, 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 absolutely. It's a very good year. So I'll add you to my list when I reel off my 1981 babies. So I th- 
I think you ran. What when? When did you run for your very first race? Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Okay, so you were a little in front of me, and you took off like a rocket ship. I I really remember vividly the first time I saw that commercial where you took, or did you put the gun back together blindfolded? Uh, yeah, where I, I assembled it and then talked about why I was for gun control. Oh my gosh, so that, the gun. So yeah, that was twenty sixteen. Yeah. Till to this day, that's when I was running in 2016. Still to this day, okay. I remember this. So no one knocked on my door and, and sent me on this rocket ship, even though we are the same age. It's okay. I'm not bitter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the reason I bring that up is because, look, I wasn't uh, struggling with PTSD. I had PTSD from a school shooting at my school when I was mm. a junior in high school and had wow. sort of very the similar journey. Like, I wasn't shot. I wasn't injured. Why am I upset until I had a therapist mm. say, like, you have PTSD. That's not a normal introduction to death at 17 years old. Right. And I got it treated really, really early. Thank God. Um, but like, you know, I'm reading this and I'm reading your sort of side by side political journey. And I and I and I like I said, like, I understand why it like fed some of that need from the PTSD. But the truth is, even if you don't if you're not having a mental health challenge, it's a shitty gig, like to <laughs> sit in a room and call yeah. people constantly and be gone from your family all the time. And now, like, even more than when, like, the last time you or I run, people are mean. They're just mm-hmm. mean. Um, even from when I ran from 2016 to 2018, you know, like, people would put my signs in their yard with a red circle and a slash through them in a city Jeez. commission race. Like, yeah. in a city commission race, you know? And I thought, you know, I think at the end when you talk about the the Army's process and, like, that the and then you're talking about, well, this is the question everybody asked me, will I run again? I thought, you know, also— there's another process that needs to be worked on here, and it's running for office, especially mm-hmm. higher office. Like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to elect people and have campaigns without asking someone to sacrifice everything. I mean, even to Barack Obama, he's written about the strain on his family and his mental health. And it's just like, why do we why do we ask people to do this because they want to serve? Well, and on top of that, you know, one of the things I tried to illuminate a little in the book is that It'd be one thing if all of that was for the purpose of, you know, giving us better government, but it, mm-hmm. none of it, none of it gives us, I mean, it, it all makes it worse. Right. So, so, yep. you know, like the, the process of sitting in the call room, making calls for eight to 10 hours a day, and then doing it again the next day and not take, not being, not having time to take care of yourself, all that stuff. You know, I, what I compared it to was if it, it'd be like, if basic training was just nine weeks of standing at attention. Like at the end of that nine weeks, you would have definitely proved how badly you want to be a soldier, but you'd be useless in a fight. Right, <laughs> right. Know? So, I mean, wh- so what are we doing where we're we're requiring politicians of, of both parties to spend 96% of their time talking to people for whom America has worked out extremely well? Like right. we're, we're not preparing them to do a good job for the rest of us. Yeah. And I just think like, why would we ask somebody to do this? And if you're, if you're in a really good place mentally, like, why would you want to, you know, like, that's the thing. I was like, aren't we creating Mm -hmm. a process that almost plays to people's weaknesses that like calls people who have something to prove often for like either dangerous or harmful reasons like i was struck even not the barack obama's like the third guest of this interview even in his in his <laughs> memoir where he talks about like am i an egomaniac why do i want to do this like he says it in his book like i'm wondering yeah. what's wrong with me that i keep doing this to myself 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember, you know, just moments in my life politically where I, I had these two thoughts. One was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, why, why am I doing this? But then the answer was like, I don't have a choice, right? I, because I, I just didn't for a whole mix of reasons. But then the other thing I remember always thinking about was how envious I was of the people who didn't need to do it. And and that's yeah. a big part of my my journey in the book is that like, you know, there's a point where, you know, I've done a few of these interviews. Here's a story I haven't told that I think will help people see why the book is a little different. You know, there's a point at which I'm, I'm sitting there, right? And I'm, <clears throat> it's, it's after I've, uh, it's before I've sat down with President Obama, but but I'm sitting down with a couple of people who have just done an event for Let America Vote, my organization, and we're having dinner in LA and it's Bradley Whitford and Janelle Maloney. So anybody who's a fan of the West Wing will recognize that as Josh Lyman and Donna, and, uh, Donna Moss, right? Like two of the main characters from the West Wing. And, you know, they've kind of, I, I didn't know Janelle really before, but Brad and I had been friends, but we get into this conversation where Eli Addy, who's one of the writers from the show, uh, and they had all been at this event, says, you know, what we need to run in, in 2020 is a is a, a young Midwestern vet who's proven he can win over people who voted for Trump. And I'm like, haha. And the next thing I know, Brad and Janelle are like, no, you need to run. And so I'm sitting there and me, the kid who like has watched the entire, you know, series several times, you know, Josh Lyman and, and Donna Moss are like, you need to run for president. So it was this completely surreal moment. And it should have been this altogether really exciting thing. But I just felt terrible about it because of how much I was enjoying it. And I, and I stepped out and I, and I you know, I was going to call my wife and just I just felt awful. And I remember thinking about how badly what I wanted was really to be somebody who, you know, would coach their son's little league team and, and, and drive a pickup truck and have a job that just felt meaningful all the time and, and didn't constantly feel they needed to prove themselves. But I realized that's not what I wanted. It's what I wanted to want. Like I, I, I knew that I was never going to make those things happen. Um, and so one of the most important things for me in therapy was getting to a place where I could be happy without external validation. And, yeah. and that's where I got to and not to spoil the end of the book, but I'm looking out the window right now at my pickup truck, which is full I know, of baseball I was equipment. Say, I do hope you got you know? that pickup truck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and, uh, and cause I coach Drew's little league team and I, and I do a job at veterans community project that I love and I find meaningful and, I'm getting to enjoy my life and actually participate in it now. And that's really, the book is really about how I got there. That's so I keep unabashedly, uh, unabashedly pushing the book and I don't feel bad about it because I should say that all of my royalties go to fight veteran suicide and veteran homelessness at Veterans Community Project, which helps me unabashedly and unapologetically push the book. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. We've also been unabashedly and unapologetically pushing a book um, that's not going to charity. So thanks for making me feel bad, Jason. No, I mean, I think you're right. (laughs) I think that that is, you know, that's the that's the hard part. And I think that's look, that's true. Parts of your journey in the military. That's definitely true of my experience in politics. It's true of parenting to a certain extent. It's like the highs are high and the lows Mm -hmm. are low. And so those places can be those places where it's like that can be enormously validating. They can be enormously um, unhealthy and codependent. Right. (laughs) Like that's Mm -hmm. the that's the knife edge. You're always walking in situations of, you know, sort of high stress and high reward like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think that's just the hard part. Well, thank you so much for writing this book. I think it's going to be so helpful to so many people. You know, I, I, the other moment with you that I will never forget is when you came on the, our podcast the first time and you talked about post-traumatic growth. It was the first time I'd ever heard that phrase is when you shared it in our interview. And I'm so glad now that you've written this book for people to really to really show, you know, both sides of it. I, I don't think you skip to the post-traumatic growth and under any scenario. And I think you have to you have to illustrate the journey that you go on to get there and that you now you're there. You have the pickup truck. I'm assuming it's all not, you know, green grass and roses, though. This is an ongoing journey. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, yes, <laughs> it is an ongoing journey for sure. You know, um, you mean post-traumatic growth is not something you just check off a to-do list? Yeah, no, it's not. It's not like uh, it's not like an IV drip, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I. I I think it's really important. I know it's really important because I needed it and it wasn't there for there to be examples out there that people can look to mm -hmm. uh, of people who have gotten treatment for PTSD and, you know, gone on with their lives and been able to do what they want to do versus what we usually see, right? Which mm -hmm. is the, like the oftentimes combat veteran, not always, uh, because there's a lot of different ways people get PTSD, but when it's depicted, it's generally, you know, a combat veteran who's like, abusing alcohol and abusing their mm -hmm. spouse and robbing a bank, you know, and I, I refer to that as, as PTSD porn. I mean, it's just like voyeurism. It's just that, you know, yeah. and, and it, and it leaves people thinking that's what PTSD is. And if you believe that that's what PTSD is and you think that, you know, PTSD is always going to lead to suicide and it's always going to lead to you losing your job. Well, then you you believe what I believed for many years, which is that PTSD is a terminal diagnosis from yeah. a life and career perspective. And as long as people believe that, they're not going to go get help. And so I just felt like, well, now what I can do, my public service can be be the guy who people can say, well, he got help and he's better. So I guess that's the path. Do you feel like that's getting better inside the veterans community? inside organizations that the narrative is improving? I think I think we're halfway there, which is to say that we've done a very good job in the veterans community of convincing people that, uh, can you hear my dog snoring behind me, by the way? Hey, Tug, <laughs> my okay. dog always snores on mine. She's not in here right now, but she always snores during them. I'm always asking Beth, can you hear her <laughs> snoring? <laughs> yeah, she's, anyway, uh, I think we've gotten halfway there, which is to say we've done a good job of having a solid refrain for years that says, it is not a sign of weakness to get help. It's a sign of strength. And I think most vets hear that now. And where we got to go now is we got to convince folks, oh, and by the way, getting help actually works. It actually helps because that's the second half of that is until people believe that they're just not going to go do it. Well, again, thank you for, for doing your part and sharing your story and showing people that there is a path forward and there is a path where you, you get help and you start to to want to want to want the things that, <laughs> that mm -hmm. the pickup yeah. truck and the the coaching of the little league. And thank you for coming on Pansy Politics again. Thanks for having me. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, 
And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code podcast15. Thank you so much to Jason Kander for being here. Sarah, thank you for that fantastic conversation with him. I love him. I just feel such camaraderie with him as the like millennial who ran for office and then was like, oh, this is, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have Barack Obama tell me I was a natural. So small differences in our experiences, but I do. I feel a large amount of camaraderie with him and I think he's fantastic. And I just love any chance to get to talk to him. Outside of politics today, we are entering our July break. What are your reading plans, Sarah? I know you to be a person who, if you come to my house for a few days, has about seven books in tow. So I'm very interested to hear your strategy for international travel and reading. Yeah, I did. I was very um, proud of myself because I did bring like five books to your house, but I finished two of them. 
um, and an audiobook. So I've been really like flying through some books because I did not read almost at all in April and May because they were really tough months for us as a family between the diabetes diagnosis and the and the COVID. And so I'm I'm back on that. I'm back on that uh, regimen of a lot of intense reading, and I love it. It makes me feel so good. It's such a break from the intense environment that is my head. And so, yeah, I actually prioritized a couple. I'm really trying to get through a bookshelf of, like, books I've ordered to read and haven't read. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to read the biggest, heaviest ones (laughs) at Best House while I'm driving around in June, and I've done that. So I have a couple smaller ones, like actual paperback novels I might take with me. But for international travel, it's just the Kindle. It's just got to be the Kindle, you know, like it's so easy to have it and pull up books and you don't have to worry about like, what if I get through this one? Because you can always just get another one. So um, a lot of books on the Kindle will be my um, July plan. And I think I've Laura Tremaine has finally convinced me and I'm going to read some Stephen King. I've never read any Stephen King. She did a whole episode to listen to. She really believes in him as a storyteller. And I, it is shocking to, like, really sit back and think about how many of our, like, most famous stories were written by him. And so I think I'm going to read Carrie over the summer. That's going to be—that's she. That's the f- book she recommends to read first. So I'm going to read Carrie, but I do really want to read some of his bigger books. I don't know if I'll get to those this summer because I do want to get through this bookshelf, which I've made a really, really nice dent in. But that's my my loose summer reading plan. Well, I do not read at your pace, and I have not read much at all lately because the Supreme Court has been so verbose. I would like it if they're going to just do what they want anyway to just say that. Like one page, we just decided because we want to do at the end. But anyway, Mm -hmm. I am looking forward to reading other things in July. So I have four books I would like to read in July. Um, I have been – I'm about halfway through This Will Not Pass, which – I've had to take slowly because there's just a lot to absorb there. I do feel like you've been, I feel like every, about every three days we got like, I'm reading this, shall not pass. Yeah. And I'm like, is it going to pass? It, <laughs> no, it will not. That is the, that's the whole deal. But I, I have had to take it slowly because it's just, it's intense and aggravating. It's not a hard read. It's an easy read. But just if you think about what it means, it's a lot. So I want to finish that. I want to read Tim Miller's Why We Did It. I do uh, Which is on my Kindle that. now. And then I want to read two books that are not about politics. I want to read People We Meet on Vacation from Emily Henry. I loved Beach Read, so I've heard that this book is delightful, and I would like to get through it. And then I want to read something from Anne Lamott. I may go back and read Mm -hmm. Help Thinks Wow again because it's so quick, but I just find that uh, when things are hard, I really value her perspective and the way that she writes. So I'm going to read something from her in July as well. It's funny that you say that because— in Laura's book, and then another book I was reading, or maybe something, I—oh, it was Austin Cleon's newsletter. It was like, in one day, Anne Lamont's Traveling Mercies was mentioned in, in my, like, something I was reading or taking in, like, three times. And I was like, okay, the Holy Spirit would like me to read this book. Um, so I'm going to try to read that over July. I, I, it was listed as, like, a really good book for, like, being a mother and a creative. And I was like, okay. I'm interested in that. Um, so I, I'm going to try to read that this this summer as well. The day or the day after the Roe decision, I found myself just going to her Facebook feed thinking, what has she said about this? And I was not disappointed. There was a long thing from her. And I feel like she is so good at saying, boy, life can be terrible and wonderful at the same time. And that is mm-hmm. just the condition of humanity. So I, I, need, I need a big dose of Anne Lamont in my July. 
We're looking forward to hearing about what you're all reading. We hope that you have a wonderful time this summer and that uh, whatever life has for you, you get in at least uh, one book that really nourishes you. We'll be back with you on Friday to talk a little bit about what's going on the coasts of the United States. And until then, have the best week available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Pettins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Catherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Ashley Thompson. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.